The following audio is from Life Centre Church. For more information, please visit lifecentrechurch.com.au. Good. This is Resurrection Sunday, so I was hoping for a little bit more energy in the particular great there. So how's everyone going? There we go. Uh, If you're new, my name is Kyle. I have the joy of being the lead pastor here at LCC. Um, And yeah, we, we we love every Sunday, but we particularly love Resurrection Sunday. We preach the gospel every week, but we particularly love to preach the gospel on Resurrection Sunday. This is a day where we set aside time to remember what Jesus has done for us. Um, When I became a Christian, I had particular ideas of what I thought Christianity was. For those of you who are in the room and Christians, or watching online and Christians, I, I wonder what the first words were, the first pictures, the first thoughts were when you thought about Christianity or you heard about Christianity. Maybe you're here and you're not a Christian and you have concepts of what you think Christianity is. What is the picture in which you have? What are the thoughts that come to mind when you think through Christianity? Uh, Today in the sort of modern West, Christianity tends to be known through the lens of three words, which is, (laughs) it should be death, burial, and resurrection. That should be it, but it is actually moralistic, therapeutic deism. Moralistic in the sense of what it means to be a Christian is to be a good person, to do good works. That that is what Christianity is. It's being good. It's being nice. Uh, Some people even in our world would say they're trying to be nice. Therapeutic is the idea that, that God and Christianity is here to make you and help you to have a better life. And then deism is the idea that God exists, but he's distant, he's not involved. And those three words, unfortunately, are characterizing much of what is Christianity in the modern West. But Easter Sunday reminds us that they are not the three words that tell us what Christianity is about. Death, burial, resurrection are the three words that tell us what Christianity is about. Amen? That is what the Easter story tells us. And so uh, we, we finished a Good Friday. For those of you who came to Good Friday, we, we finished with like the end of the burial story. Shane read a little bit there where uh, Joseph of Arimathea has come. He's asked Pilate for the body. He's doing that because for a Jew, they don't want the death of, of someone to kind of hang over the Passover and particularly on the Sabbath. So they quickly grab Jesus He's a wealthy man. Uh, we actually know that he's part of the Sanhedrin, so he's actually he's going public with his faith. He's, he's asking for Jesus' body so they can put it into his own tomb that he has paid for himself. Now, in our day, um, there might be you know, some families or some couples who might uh, pay for a particular burial sites so that when one passes and the next passes, we can be buried together. That's not an unfamiliar thing to our culture. In their day, they would just have one tomb and you would roll a stone over it and when the next family member passes and was dead, they would then bury them and then eventually all the family would be together. So this is, this is Joseph's tomb of which he's paid for, which is going to be for his family, but he gives it to Jesus. And he says, I don't want, I don't want the, the person who I believed in to die the death and then have a burial like that of the other criminals, or even just the poor, which would be outside in Gehenna, outside of Jerusalem walls, where there is their big dump, which is constantly on fire and burning. And so he says, no, I want Jesus to have a decent burial. So he wraps him, puts him in. And the story actually tells us that not only does he walk away, but it says in verse 61 that Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were there sitting opposite the tomb. 
So in their minds, they're sitting, they're watching. Everyone is, everyone is in agreement. He is dead. He is buried. They know this, and these women are, are brave, and they're following Jesus. And then a stone is rolled over the entrance. There is no hope. Joseph goes away. The women stay a little while, but they too would eventually go away because they have to get ready for the Sabbath. And man, that must have been the weirdest Sabbath for those who are following Jesus. And then we see that the Jewish authorities are themselves scared that potentially, because this Jesus had prophesied, he had said that he would die and would raise himself again, they, they concoct the plan where, hey, we, we can't let the disciples come and get this body and then lie and make up this other story whereby they would say he'd been raised to dead. So the Jewish authorities come again to Pilate and say, hey, can we have some guards, please? Can we have some of your elite military guards to stand over this tomb, watch this tomb? And then he basically says to them, go and do everything you can to keep Jesus in that tomb. And then it tells us that they seal it. Okay, we, we don't know, like, have they come out and they're kind of doing, you know, they've got some cement, they've got the cement mixer and they're like sort of sealing that thing up. We don't know exactly what it means, but here's what we do know. According to the Jews and according to the Romans, Jesus is dead, Jesus is buried, and he ain't getting out of that tomb. And they're going to make sure of it. Now, for the Romans, if he gets out of that tomb, they are in trouble because they haven't done their job. Often it means death for them. The Jews don't want him out of that tomb. Ah, but he gets out of the tomb. Because <laughs> he's Jesus. And nothing can stop our Jesus. So there are two things today that I particularly want to look at. And hopefully these are two things that will just help stick in your mind about God. About Jesus. Are you with me? I think this story tells us two things particularly. Firstly, is that Jesus is a powerful God who can. This whole narrative is surrounded by language of power. Now, I don't know what comes to mind when you think of an angel, a little cupid, a little, some clouds. Uh, it's not how the angel comes. Uh, we have these weird images of what angels might look like. It says, now after the Sabbath, this is verse 1, towards the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. Now they're coming to see the tomb because they want to essentially give Jesus the proper, proper embalming. Okay, Because they rushed to get him off the cross because they didn't want a dead body on the Sabbath there. Now they've seen he's been put there. They know where he is. And now they're coming after the Sabbath to kind of go, okay, but we didn't do that properly. Can we get the stone rolled away so we can come in and properly embalm him with the spices? So that's their intention. And everybody agrees. The Christians agree. The Jews agree. The Romans agree. Jesus is dead and Jesus is buried in that tomb. Verse 2. And behold, there was a great earthquake. For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. I love that he just sits on that sucker. He just rolls over and he's like, da-da. <laughs> you know, just sitting there just going, I don't have a bow and there's no clouds, but I'm sitting on the rock. I just love that. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing was white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. Have you ever walked into your bedroom and switched on the light and there is that huntsman <laughs> sitting on that wall and you are like a dead man or a dead woman 
Or if you're like me, you're a squealing little girl. This is what happens when you encounter power. It doesn't actually matter what scenario you and I find ourselves in. Every time we, we encounter greatness, we become insecure. Have you ever walked into a situation where there is someone who is absolutely beautiful or handsome and you're like, dang, ginger exposed. <laughs> Have you ever walked into a meeting where someone is like, you weren't expecting them to be there, but then like they're there. That person who you admire, that person who's filled with wealth, that person who's got prestige, they're in the room and you're like, oh, they know, they expose me. The other night we, uh, we did our Friday night, or Friday afternoon, Good Friday service, and we had that massive storm come over. I don't know who experienced that. We had this massive storm. And for us at our place, it kind of bypassed us a little bit. And so there was this like moment where the rain stopped, the lightning stopped, the thunder stopped, and so I'm like, great, I can get the bins out. And so I go out and I see this lightning. I'm like, ah, oh, that's cute. And then bang, within like literally within a second, the crack of that lightning. And like I didn't squeal because it wasn't a huntsman, but I froze for a split second and my heart pounded because it was literally just up the road from us. And it was the loudest thing. And then I come inside and the girls were like, oh, whole house was shaking. And that was just lightning. This is an angel who comes and bang! The power of this angel. And it's just the messenger. And that angel is there because Jesus has sent the angel and thousands upon thousands upon thousands of angels are under his authority. And when he says go, they go. And here is this angel and it is like bang! And these guards, these are the high elite troops. These men are not scared of anything. Not even Shane Paxer. They are not scared of anything. That didn't even get a laugh. I thought that would get me something. Okay. And here they are. And they are like paralyzed men. Why? Because they have encountered power. Power from on high. And so the, the God who remained apparently silent on Good Friday is beginning to have the last word. And so we see the power through the angel. But we also see the power through what the angel tells us, and that is that this Christ, who was dead and buried, is not there. He is risen. So verse 5 says, But the angel said to the woman, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. Some of the greatest words ever spoken. He is not here, for he has arisen. And I love these words, as he said. See, all of the Jewish authorities, all of the Roman guards did everything they could in their physical power to keep Jesus in the tomb. But Jesus' words are more powerful than their actions. So because he said he'll rise again, guess what he does? He rises again. Good luck trying to get against Jesus. When he says something, it happens. He spoke stars into being. He spoke planets into being. If he says he's going to rise again, he will rise again. And so the Romans and the Jews do everything they can to crucify Jesus, and they do. They do everything they can to keep him in that tomb, and they do. But Jesus unfortunately said, sorry guys, I've said I'm going to rise. I don't lie. I'm going to rise. And I love this because why did the angel roll the stone away? Is that to let Jesus out? No. See, Jesus wasn't on the inside asked, Hey, hello. He's not in there yelling, let me out. He's already out. 
such as the power of God, he doesn't need somebody to roll a stone that's been sealed away. So the angel does it, not so that Jesus can get out, but to show the people that he's already out. Such is the power of Jesus. And when these ladies meet him, verse 9, Behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up, they took hold of his feet. And what do they do? They worship this God. Why? Because that is the appropriate response to someone who can predict their own death and their resurrection. And against all odds, with everything saying that that's not humanly possible, he does it. Which for those of us who are Christians, is why we believe he is not just a man but that he is the God-man. He is Jesus Christ risen again. At the end of this story, the end of Matthew 28, he, he, he says to his disciples at the end that all power, all authority has been given to him in heaven and on earth. And this is the declaration of Easter, that God is all-powerful, that God is almighty, that God can overcome everything and anything. If he says he's going to do it, he's going to do it. This is good news because God said he's going to forgive you. (laughs) Therefore, he's forgiven you. But it doesn't just tell us about the powerful God that can. It also gives us the personal God who cares. I love this. The whole narrative is not just steeped in power. It's steeped in images of kindness. And grace. The appropriate response when we meet power is fear, right? That, that's, that's normal. But how does this powerful, death-conquering Jesus use his power? Well, let's look at the words of the angel. So the angel comes and does this crazy thing. Bang, it's like earthquakes, it's lightning, it's white as, it's a sealed stone that's been rolled away. And listen to how this angel speaks to these women. Verse 5 said, But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid. God is not here using his power to show off. Do you know that person who you, who you meet and they love telling you everything they can do, everything they own? Do you have a friend maybe who likes the name drop? That's not God. That's not, that's not how this angel comes in. This angel comes in and says, hey, yes, there is power. Yes, that is true. Yes, that is real. But listen to the caring words. Do not be afraid. For I know that you seek Jesus who is crucified. He is not here, for he has risen. And he said, come see the place where he lay. And so the first words of God's ambassador of the angel are words of comfort. Words of assurance, for I know, I know what's going on. I know how you're feeling. I know you're here to see Jesus. And then there's words of invitation, come, see. Do you see the care? This angel then walks these women into that tomb and goes, he's not here. See, I love this. The angel is here to help the women, not terrify them. And so he seeks to calm them. And then he gives them words of commissioning. Go quickly and tell the disciples that he is risen from the dead. 
why does he tell them to go tell the disciples? Well, if we'd read early enough, you would have found that Jesus told all of his disciples, you are all going to really, really mess up real bad. In my greatest hour of need, all of you, all of you will abandon me. And then obviously our favorite Peter was there, like, yeah, they will, God, they suck. But I'm from North Lakes, and us North Lakeians, we stick it. Peter says, like, I'll go, I'll, go, I'll go to jail to you, and I'll even die for you. And four seconds later, he's squealing like, like, a, like a kylum with a huntsman on the wall. He is so terrified. He is so scared. Every single one of these men abandoned their Messiah, abandoned their Savior in his greatest moment. They are away. They are hiding. They are terrified. And what is the words from the angel? Go and tell them, I'm alive. That what I said would happen, that they would abandon me, remind them also of what I said to them, is that when I rise again, I'll meet you in Galilee. This is words of encouragement, not discouragement. He is simply saying to them, guys, yes, you messed up, but I'm bigger than you mess up. I'm greater than your sin. I'm greater than your weakness. And so they are so discouraged by their own cowardice and they are afraid that if their Messiah has been crucified, what lays next for them? They know that they're going to get chased down and eventually put on a cross. They are filled with discouragement, filled with fear. And I even love, Matthew tells us that even these women as they go, that they're still filled. Did you notice they're still filled with this mixture of fear and joy? So it's like they've met the angel. The angel sought to encourage them, sought to comfort them. And they go away with like a mixture of emotions of like, what the heck just happened? Was that real? Is that not real? And they are mixed. Anyone here have mixed emotions when it comes to God? It's like, yeah, I, I, I believe him, but I also doubt. Like this, I love this because this then moves into what Jesus does for these women. So it's not just the angel who's bringing comfort and being kind and gracious, but look at what Jesus does. Verse 9 tells us that Jesus meets them on their way. Verse 9, and behold, Jesus met them. So here they are, angels come, massive moment, filled with fear. Don't be afraid. Jesus is alive. Now go and tell the disciples. They're in the middle of this, this, this mixed emotions of fear and joy, and they're on their way. And still in that moment, Jesus doesn't have to come and meet them. It doesn't say that they found Jesus. It doesn't say that. It says Jesus met them. Meaning, Jesus was waiting for them. Jesus was ready to come to them. This is the story of the gospel. I have studied Hinduism. I've studied Buddhism. I've studied Islam. I've studied Scientology. I've studied all of the ologies and all of the isms and all of the things. And every single worldview that exists is you work it out. You do better. You do more. You eventually, in your own strength and your power, you work up and get forgiveness. You work your way to God. You work your way to enlightenment. You do all of the things. It's on you. And Jesus is here at the cross saying, it is not on you. I meet you. I come to you. 
I left heaven for you. See, what I realized when I came to faith was nobody was coming for me. Nobody was going to help me. All of the things that I was trying, all of the things that I was trying to put my life in and the hands on to build my life upon, none of those things cared about me, would do anything for me or would come for me. But then I met Jesus Christ and He is the one who left the throne of heaven and came for me. This is the truth of Jesus. Jesus said in John 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He's saying nobody is coming for you. Your career is not coming for you. Your house is not coming for you. Your family heritage is not coming for you. Jesus has come for you. And Jesus meets these women on their way. Thank Jesus that he met us on our way. Amen? That he came for us. And then I love it because he, he then comforts them on their way. He says, greetings. Now, I really wish I was there because I want to see the, <laughs> like, how did, how did he go? Greetings. You know, like, how do you, how do you say this, this phrase? Like, what was the, what was the disposition? How, how did this whole thing go? But, but greetings literally means rejoice. So, so we've had fear and joy. That's what they're feeling. And Jesus is like, no fear, just joy. That's what he's saying. He's saying, no, 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 fear's gone. I'm taking that away. This is just joy. See, see me? I have risen from the dead. Joy. Rejoice. And nowhere in the story do we ever see the word fear come. They now start to believe. Others will come and they still seem to doubt, but these women are now filled with joy. When the angel told them and commissioned them, they had that mixture of fear and joy, but Jesus knows this. So Jesus meets them in their fear. And fear has been replaced. So the risen Christ is not only powerful. Oh man, he is so kind. See, I don't know where you are right now in your story. I don't know what's going on in your life. I don't. But Jesus does. And he will meet you there. And he wants to replace whatever that thing is with the joy of the Lord. And this is what he does over and over and over and over and over again. I've been a Christian for over 20 years and he just keeps doing it. And he keeps doing it. I keep getting down into valleys and he keeps saying, I'm already here. I've been waiting for you. I'm in the valley. I'm, I, I know what you're going through. I know it and I am with you. So he's not only powerful to do something to change the circumstance, he cares enough to change the circumstance, to come to us and meet us. And this is what we see with Jesus. And then lastly, he promises them a brand new beginning. So he says, go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee and there they will see me. I love this. What did the angel say? Did the angel say this? Hands up, who thinks the angel says this? Look at you all, you're all scared that you're going to get caught out. Okay, Who believes the angel didn't say this? How many of you are sitting on the fence and knowing that something's coming? Okay, a few more hands on that one. Okay, The angel says everything. Jesus repeats it word for word, except he changes one word. The angel said, go and tell my disciples... 
And Jesus says, go and tell my brothers. That's a different language. He's not saying, go and tell those that follow me. He's like, go and tell my family. Go and tell the ones who I love at a deep, deep level. In Matthew 26, a few chapters before this, Jesus said to them, You will all fall away because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. And then verse 32 says, But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Galilee, if you read the New Testament, you realize this is where Jesus does so much of his ministry. He wants them to get back to Galilee because that's where we're going to continue doing the next lot of ministry. So these men and these women feel like they have failed, feel like they, they, are, they are deserted, they are on their own, they have no hope, they have no purpose. And Jesus is like, that would be true if I was dead and buried. But because I was dead, buried and raised, not true anymore. Now you have hope, now you have joy, now you have this, this sense of I'm with you now. And it changes everything. And if you read the story written in John, what you find out is that three times Peter denies Jesus and three times Jesus says to Peter, Hey, hey, Peter, when you come back, feed the sheep. When you realize what I've done on the cross, that I've forgiven you of your past, that that very failure that happened just a few short days ago that's massive is gone, come and strengthen the brothers. Come and strengthen the sisters. And what Jesus is saying here is not go tell the faithless cowards that I'll deal with them later. And this time they better be where I say they ought to be, right? And they better beg me for forgiveness. No, what Jesus is saying is, I've already forgiven you. That's why I was dead. That's why I was buried. And now I'm alive to give you life. You are forgiven. It is done. It is finished. Psalm 103.12 says, As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. Now, I'm no, you know, I'm not the sharpest knife in the, in the drawer, but I know that if you keep going like east or west, like it, they never meet. That's how far away. If you've put your faith in Jesus, your transgressions are gone. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Isaiah 1, 18 says, Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet. Right? So this is the purpose of Good Friday. Good Friday, we remember, yeah, I'm, I've, I've sinned and Jesus has dealt with my sins. They shall be white as snow. They, they are red like crimson. They shall become like wool. Have you ever gone to the snow? Have you ever seen how when you go to bed at night and then you wake up, the snow has covered everything? You can't see the tables. You can't see the bikes. You can't see all the mess. You can't see the grass. That is what Jesus has done on the cross. He has taken our sin, your sin, my sin, and it lay buried with him in that, in that grave. And when he came out, he did not bring out our sin. It's there. What he brings out is new life, a new beginning. And I love this about Jesus. 
Because what he's saying in essence is, tell the crew, I've already forgiven them. Tell the crew, it's already, it's already done, it's already finished. Tell them to lift up their weary heads, to lift up their discouraged hearts, and to see me alive and know that you are free. Romans 10, 9 to 13 says, If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You will experience complete and utter forgiveness. One believes with the heart resulting in righteousness and one confesses with the mouth resulting in salvation. Now the scripture says everyone who believes on him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. There's no... in in and out between those two, since the same Lord of all is rich to all who call on Him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So how do we experience the powerful God who can and the personal God who cares is we just simply ask and say, forgive, save. You know what God does? tells you he's just been waiting for that day i've i've been I've, I've been here waiting for you to do this let's do this and this is what we get from easter jesus was dead everybody knew it the jews know it the romans know it the christians know it jesus was buried the jews know it the romans know it the christians know it he is alive the Jews don't know it, the Romans don't know it, and those who meet Jesus and follow Jesus know it. And in a short few days, 40 days, eventually about 120 are going to go to an upper room. And within a few short years, about 10,000 people are now following Jesus. And this thing starts to spread like wildfire with a whole bunch of people who never get to see Jesus personally. Why? Because the testimony is trustworthy. They saw, they heard, they felt, they touched, and their lives reflect men and women who are willing to give up their life to serve the resurrected Jesus. In other words, if he died and he buried and he didn't raise again, it makes no difference. But if he died and he was buried and he rose again, he is Jesus, the God-man. And he is who he says he is. He has done what he says he has done. And that means what he says it means, that you and I can be forgiven. We can be put in a right relationship with God and we can experience new life and then experience the God who at the very, very end says, his last words is, and I will be with you forever. So now no matter what you face, you face it with the risen Jesus. The powerful one who can, the personal one who cares. So my question is to you, will you believe? Will you put your faith and cry out to that God and say, save me? And if you've never done that, and you are here today and you would like to do that, it would be our greatest privilege to pray with you and walk with you and then become a part of a church family that would do this together with you. 
And if you're here and you're weary in your faith, and you're doubting, there's doubt all throughout this book. Doubt is not the opposite of faith. Doubt is the evidence of someone who's thinking through something that's difficult to believe. But God will give you faith. He will help you. And we'd love to pray with you as well. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for overcoming that grave. Thank you for willingly offering up your own life. But then in power, overcoming that grave and rising again to new life. And Jesus, thank you that you didn't just have to do that. You, you willingly did that because you are a God who is kind. You're a God who loves. And Christianity is not about moralism. It is not about us trying to be good and better, although you do do good things in our heart. It is about a God who was dead and buried and raised to life for those people who weren't good. For the broken, for the messed up. God, thank you that this, this faith is not about therapeutic means. This is not just about how to have a healthy, wealthy life. But this is about knowing the God who died and rose again. And knowing you and walking with you is the greatest joy. And thank you that you are not, you are not afar off. That you left the courts of heaven to come to us. And even in that moment when those women had sat there and watched that tomb come across and then went away on that Sabbath, discouraged and heartbroken, and they came back thinking that they were there to anoint you with a proper burial so you could be embalmed, that you were there to meet them. And God, you are here today to meet us in the same way. No matter where we are, no matter where we've come from, no matter what's been going on in our life, you come to us. And Jesus, thank you for doing that because we would never have run to you. And thank you for being dead. Thank you for being buried. And thank you for rising again. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Life Centre Church located in North Lakes. We exist to make, mature and multiply disciples in communities that depend upon, declare and display the gospel of Jesus Christ in all of life. If you would like more information about us, please visit lifecentrechurch.com.au. We provide our podcasts free of charge. Please feel free to download the content and share it with others but please do not edit or alter the content in any way without the written permission from the leadership of LCC.